The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Tuesday right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. 90 minutes of sports talk. We go up until 7 o'clock. If you want to interact with the show, you can. Reach out to me on Twitter, as always, at WDEV Radio Brady. We'll be joined in 15 minutes by the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosie. You can hear him on Sunday on the call. Pats and Dolphins, they'll be in Foxborough. The team will be in Miami, but Patriots looking for their seventh win of the year on Sunday. Bob Sosie with us at 545. I want to start here. The Patriots' postseason hopes took a massive hit last night. The Patriots, in the worst way, needed the Browns to beat Baltimore. Baltimore ended up winning that game in what was a great game with a whole lot of twists and a whole lot of turns. So the Patriots' playoff hopes are now essentially non-existent. They're down to 2%, according to 538 Sports. It's not going to happen. I mean, you never rule it out because there's still 2%, but the Patriots are not going to be in the playoffs. And it's going to feel really weird watching stress-free January and February football. And it's not a feeling that I welcome. It's not a feeling that I like. But I really do want to start the show against that backdrop with this. Yesterday... And yesterday what I saw and today what I heard out of Cleveland Browns fans showed me why New England Patriot fans and fans in this area in general are absolutely despised by everybody. Yesterday's Browns game and the rhetoric coming out of the Browns game today showed me why fans in this area are so hated. So listen to this. Aaron Goldhammer is a sports radio host at ESPN Radio in Cleveland. He was speaking earlier this morning on ESPN Radio nationally about the Browns game last night. And I want you to listen to this because this shows why everybody hates us here in New England. You're never going to be happy after you lose a game like that. But for the Browns, who has wanted to play in a game like that for 20 years, To be going toe-to-toe with the MVP on Monday Night Football as your heart is about to jump out of your chest in a wild back-and-forth affair where you score 22 points in the fourth quarter and they kick a 55-yard field goal to beat you, that's the kind of pain you want as a sports fan. He says that's the kind of pain you want as a sports fan. You want to be in a position where your team is relevant enough to hurt you. And... You feel like you've earned something. When the team finally turns the corner, you feel like you've earned something. That is why everybody hates New England. I came to the realization upon hearing that. What I mean is this. The Browns have been bad forever. Since they came back to the league, they've been awful. This is their first winning season in more than a decade. They haven't been to a playoff game in 20 years. It's been two decades worth of bad quarterbacks and going 0-16 and Hugh Jackson and Johnny Manziel sneaking off to Vegas. Like, complete ineptitude. This is who the Browns have been for 20 years. They've waited. Their fans have waited. The organization has waited 
20 plus years to have a game that mattered enough to cause that kind of reaction. And it's the kind of game, the kind of situation, Monday night football, division rival. It's the kind of situation with your team in December in the playoff race where you're going for your 10th win. It's the kind of thing that everybody else thinks that we take for granted, that we don't appreciate because we don't know anything else. Browns fans and fans of losing teams, they do wear losing as a badge of honor because when the good time actually comes, they feel like they've earned it. And people don't feel like we have earned this here. If the New England, you know what? They're right. They're right. New England sports fans are spoiled. We are lucky. We haven't had to go through that where your team loses. It's, it finally gets a Monday night football game. Finally gets a Monday night football game at home. Your division rival, the team that the franchise that was birthed out of your original franchise being stolen. We've never had to deal with that. And then to lose and be gutted at nearly the buzzer, we don't have to deal with that. We don't experience that kind of hurt. If you're a New England fan fan under the age of 30, it doesn't feel to the outside like this run of success has been earned because you haven't been through that. Okay, I am 31. For Patriot fans, for Red Sox fans, for New England fans of my age, it doesn't feel like it's been earned. It feels like it's been handed to you, and that is that is despised by other fan bases. They look at us as entitled and spoiled, and you know what? They're right. Like, if you think of, if you think this year is bad for the Patriots, you thought this year was bad for the Red Sox. I I give you the Cleveland Browns. I give you the Seattle Mariners. I give you the pre-2017 Buffalo Bills. Like, that is what other fan bases have had to deal with. And because they've had to deal with that, they hate us because we haven't. And it hit me upon hearing that. We in New England can play this, oh, oh man, everybody hates us, it's us against the world. Well, why do they hate us? Because they've never, because we haven't had to go through that. What Cleveland went through last night, what Cleveland has gone through for 20 years, what Atlanta has gone through, what Seattle has gone through, minus the Seahawks with the Mariners, losing their team in the Supersonics. Like Other fan bases deal with heartache. We haven't had to deal with that here. If you're over the age of 40, you're in a separate conversation. Because if you were there for Buckner in 86, if you were there for the Patriots getting whitewashed, by the Bears in the Super Bowl in 85. If you were there when the Patriots couldn't field winning seasons and were going 1-15, in you, you've earned it. You have earned this run of success. People in my age group, me, I haven't earned this. I haven't gone through real pain. I haven't experienced what Cleveland has experienced. I mean, Cleveland hasn't been to the playoffs since 2002. And yet, here we are. It's a tough season for us at 6-7 and seven and still not mathematically eliminated on December 15th. That kind of entitlement, that kind of run, that is why people hate us. And you know what? Like Other cities and other fan bases deal with their star players leaving. We don't really deal with that. We deal with star players coming. We take your star player. We get gifted your star player. Okay, And you know what? We've gotten fortunate to get Tom Brady, 
and it didn't feel earned. Hey, we just threw that could have been anybody who threw the dart board threw the dart at the dart board, but we did. Tom Brady came here, and we threw the dart at the dart board and got Julian Edelman, and we've got Gronk, and then we've got you know a good run of baseball prospects, Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts, and it just kept going. And then everybody wanted to come play here. David Price wanted to leave his small market and come here. And even though it didn't work, Carl Crawford wanted to leave, wanted to leave and come here. And Adrian Gonzalez wanted to leave and come here. And other team, other fan bases, heroes want to come play in New England. People hate that. Teams and fan bases, they hate that. Like I and I'm 100% the fan police. I've always said that. It's one of my worst qualities. I get it. You must be a fan the way that I am a fan, or else I judge you. And I'm sorry for that. I will be a card-carrying member at the fan police meetings and say, I am Brady Farkas, I have a problem. I judge fans way too much for not agreeing with how I am a fan. But I do believe Cleveland fans are right. Like That kind of pain makes the good moments good. Like outside, Cleveland had LeBron. For a little bit. Outside of that, 50 years, what has Cleveland done? Nothing. It's nothing but bad memories. Except for a, a, a three-year run with LeBron where he came back and they were good. It's almost nothing but bad memories. It does make it sweeter. When your team, when the Browns finally get to the playoffs this year, assuming they do, it's going to have felt earned. It doesn't feel earned with New England. And people hate that. And they hate, they hate you. They hate me. They hate us, and they hate our teams. And that quote by Aaron Goldhammer, that that's the kind of pain you wait for as a sports fan, they're just looking to be relevant. It's the kind of pain that we take for granted. It's the kind of pain that we really haven't had to feel because the team's been winning so much. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to turn my attention to this. We do it every single Tuesday. It's called Hot Seat of the Week, where we look at something that, the seat's getting a little warm on. Could be a player, could be a coach. Here we go. Hot seat of the week. All right, Ryan Hannibal of WEEI has put the Patriots' season on the hot seat. He says the team's season is about to be a complete failure. And the reason why? They're stuck in the middle. They're not going to make the playoffs, and they don't have a long-term answer at quarterback. And he says if you are not either in the playoffs or developing the future, your season has been meaningless and this season is essentially meaningless. So he's got the whole season on the hot seat. I understand that way of thinking, but I'm going to fight back against that way of thinking. Look, I want to learn things too. I want to get to the Super Bowl, or I want to learn things, usually. This year, though, I'm giving the Patriots a pass. This season is not a failure. To me, this season has been about a whole lot of successes, even though the record hasn't been what we wanted to. Let me start with this. The Patriots are a team who has been hit a very limited amount by COVID-19. A very limited amount. Cam Newton got it. Stephon Gilmore had it. Julian Edelman was was on the list, but he was on IR also, so it didn't matter in terms of his ability to play. The Patriots haven't had the kind of mass outbreaks. They haven't had the mass inconsistency in their lineup of people popping in and out. And that's important because that continues to show a discipline, a dedication, and an attention to detail that we would expect from the Patriots. And keeping that 
keeping that level of focus, keeping that level of attention to detail is always going to be important for the New England Patriots moving forward. If you are looking for the next great Patriot team, you will need a great attention to detail, a great discipline, and this Patriots team has still shown that. So even though this team wasn't great on the field, you're going to need that work ethic. You're going to need those traits to continue to move forward. The next great Patriots team will have those traits, and it's important to keep them. We talked yesterday. We 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 hear a lot of young coaches, new coaches, talk about building a culture. Joe Judge in New York wants to build a culture. Well, it's also important to maintain a culture, and that culture of winning, but also that culture of doing the little things. And the Patriots, through their ability to remain on the field during this season, for the most part, they have shown that. Okay, And also, maintaining the culture in terms of developing young players with a work ethic. I know we haven't seen nine draft picks take off this year for New England, but the guys that have played, Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, Michael Owenu, they have grown. And they are going to be people that take this thing to the next level in the next couple of years. They have learned valuable lessons, lessons, and they will pass them on to the next crop of young players. And the machine then can start to feed itself. Devin McCourty might not be here next year. Matthew Slater might not be here next year. Julian Edelman might not be here next year. The veterans may be leaving. It's important that those young players got the taste of it, got the experience of it, and have learned how to play that so-called Patriot way and have learned how to carry themselves like carry themselves like Patriots. Because if they can do it and they can set an example and be role models for the next group of young players coming behind them, that can only be a success. Other teams want to build a culture. The Patriots have already had it. They want to keep it. They want to maintain it. They want to help it grow and just keep going and going and going. And they've been able to do that this year. The locker room may be very different. They're going to need these young players this year to take on those lessons that they learned this year. Teams spend years, years trying to build cultures. They hire and fire coaches based on the ability or inability to do that. They shuffle quarterbacks in and out because they didn't fit with the culture. Patriots, the fact that they were able to keep that this season has been huge. And you won't be able to convince me otherwise. Yes, from a record standpoint, it's disappointing what has transpired this year. It's not what we're used to. But from being able to keep and maintain the culture and integrate young people into it so that they can pass it on and grow, this season can absolutely only be defined as a success. In the face of what all these players and coaches have dealt with this year, the fact that they've been able to remain committed, disciplined, and have paid attention to detail can only be a win moving forward. So, Ryan Hannibal, I disagree with you. You put the season on the hot seat. I think your column is on the hot seat. I disagree. This season, record aside, has been a success. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The show is sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. So the Patriots' season, from a playoffs perspective, is all but over. Would Bill Belichick now intentionally lose a game down the stretch. Could he do that? Could Bill Belichick throw a game 
down the stretch. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, he's going to join us next right here on WDEV. Edgework's creative. The man who's called three Super Bowl championships. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the red arm. Touchdown! And a title for the Patriots! The man who can take us closer to the action than anyone else. Brady throws it to the end zone for Ken Brown-Tonkins. Leaping! He's caught it! Touchdown! Patriots! The voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots playoff hopes took a major hit last night with the Browns losing to the Ravens, but still three games left on the season, still not mathematically eliminated as the Pats roll into Miami this upcoming Sunday to help us talk about all of that and more. The voice of the Patriots, as he is every week with us at this time on this show, it is Bob Sosi. Bob, how are you? I'm good, Brady, and uh, that was quite an entertaining game, as disappointing as it was on Monday night, but maybe not as entertaining as the back and forth on Twitter as the game <laughs> <laughs> was, wa- was waning on in the final minutes and seeing the reaction of, uh, you know, the pathologists as opposed to the naysayers out there. And unfortunately for the Patriots, the naysayers ultimately had the last laugh. I think with the Patriots playoff chances now, according to 538, reduced to something like 2%. There's still a chance, as they say, but uh, very little. The path has narrowed considerably. It has narrowed considerably. We'll get to that in a minute. I actually wanted to throw a curveball at you to start. Um, Saturday was the Army-Navy game, and you used to be the broadcaster for Navy, and I know Navy lost, so that hurts you, and it hurts Bill Belichick too. But I just wanted to ask you, what's that game like? Oh, it's an amazing experience from start to finish. And Saturday was a very disappointing day uh, in a lot of respects. And as I said on social media myself, probably the most difficult three-day stretch of football for me personally to watch with the Patriots scoring only three points on Thursday and then the midshipmen getting shut out on Saturday. Yet at the end of the game, and ultimately, once some of the emotions cooled down, it was an atypical finish to the Army-Navy game in that there was some pushing and shoving, some extracurricular activity on the field, because it's a game that is rooted in mutual respect and a common cause, a common calling, where the young men and women who go to the two service academies sign up on their own as part of the voluntary armed forces in this country to serve the country, willing to sacrifice for all of us. And it's been said many times that it's the one football game where everyone on the field is willing to die for everyone watching. And at the end of the game, when the two teams come together for the alma mater, although it is your greatest goal as an athlete to sing second when you go to a service academy because the losing team's alma mater sung first, naturally, Nonetheless, I think that scene crystallizes why Army-Navy is so special, because once the game ends, those seniors who are on the field and those seniors who are watching in their respective uniforms, they're brothers and sisters in arms, and they're on the same team. And as trite and as cliched as that sounds, that's what Army-Navy is all about. And when you go to an Army-Navy game and experience in person, if you can, you get a sense of just how special it is. From the time the stadium opens and you look around in the stands and you see the people who are there, academy graduates, as well as the military officers who are in attendance. And, you know, as the game goes along and, and they compete you know, with total 100 percent effort on every play, regardless of what the score is. I was so lucky to be a part of one, let alone 16 Army-Navy games. 
and it's an event in sports unlike any other. Well, beautifully said in a beautiful scene. Um, I made this point the other day on our podcast to Doug Flutie. I think watching the Patriots is like watching a service academy offense at times. We see run dominant, option plays at times, have to be perfect, uh, small margin for error. That's kind of what it feels like to me at times. That has been an analogy that uh, has been used periodically in our broadcast booth, not always on the air and, uh, you know, certainly in conversation. And I, I kind of felt, as I said, in watching the two games on Thursday and Saturday, uh, very similarly, although I let my emotions out a little bit more when I'm watching as a fan of the <laughs> Naval Academy than in trying to broadcast the Patriots game. But you're absolutely right. Uh, there are a lot of similarities uh, for the Patriots. You cannot, like a service academy football team, you can't fall behind, particularly by two scores, because you don't have an offense that's really suited to come back as in the past when you had Tom Brady who could throw the ball 40, 50 times a game and lead you to a comeback through the air. There's no rally from a 28-3 deficit with a running-oriented offense. And so when I look at the Patriots and the way the game on Thursday played out and then the way the game played out for the Naval Academy on Saturday, you know, you, you talk about a, a fourth down uh, effort, goal, uh, goal to go for the mids as opposed yeah. to a fourth and two uh, for the uh, the Patriots, a goal to go. And each team fails, and you know at that moment you you miss one at bat, and it's almost game over. Uh, although the Patriots still were able to hang around a little bit in their game until that third quarter drive by the Rams, but there are a lot of similarities. You're absolutely right, and and they're certainly not lost on me watching both teams this year. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots. You can hear him every single Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, whenever the Patriots are playing. You can hear him on WDEV. Bob, Cam Newton had some interesting comments yesterday. He was defending Josh McDaniels, and he said there was not going to be any rift between him and McDaniels. But he also said, I'm just doing what I'm asked to do. And what I ask you is, as a follow-up, is I think it's pretty clear the Patriots have told Cam not to turn the football over, and he's been extra conservative. Do you think that Cam is gun-shy because there's nothing left in the tank, or he's just doing, hey, they've told me not to turn it over, so here's what I'm going to do. There might be plays on the field, but I'm not going to take those chances. It may go beyond what they're telling him not to do in his own sense of that. And I think back to two plays in particular in the Rams game. The screen pass intercepted by Kenny Young in return for a touchdown. Although Bill Belichick said afterward it wasn't Cam's mistake that he was supposed to throw the ball in that situation and that Aaron Donald made a great play in holding up Damian Harris. And as Belichick said, there would be no reason for him not to throw it in that spot. Nonetheless, hearing Cam's response after the game about why he didn't pitch the ball on that aforementioned fourth and and goal from the two. Although I think if he pitches it, the play's blown up, much like a a pitch that went for a fumble in the second half of the Navy game. Nonetheless, his rationale was after the game, as he explained, well, he he didn't want to make another bad play. So obviously in that situation, reading into it, that interception in the pick six played into his thinking even in the running game, we're not even talking about a pass here into the running game, whether or not to keep it or pitch it uh, when he, he took that you know option play uh, eventually to the middle uh, on that fourth and goal to go. So I, I think it's great. I think it's been evident in his play as the season has gone along indecisiveness and hesitancy. There have been a lot of inaccurate throws that have been near misses for opposing teams. And we have seen a lot of inaccurate throws, obviously, picked off by opposing teams. And, you know, the one thing with the way the Patriots play, and it goes back to service academy football, as we were talking about missed at-bats, 
ball security is important in every offense, but especially so when you play in a, in a game of limited possessions. And kind of your MO offensively has become, let's slow the game down, let's get out in front, play from ahead, let's work the clock, let's grind it out, let's play smash-mouth football. And every time you turn the ball over and give it away, well, again, in a game of limited at-bats, I think those mistakes are amplified because it's not like, again, you're going to be able to turn around and go hurry up and get multiple possessions in the final half of a quarter. In this case, you're probably going to get two or three possessions in entire quarter, three being a bit generous. This team has played a lot of games where you've seen like two full series in, in, a, in a single quarter uh, for one team. Bob, I don't want to be a sports radio guy. I don't want to fall into the trap, but I'm going to have to be a sports radio guy. So I heard it. I've heard it earlier in the year, and I heard it yesterday on a national radio show. Let me paint the scenario for you. The Jets are 0-15 going into that final game. Does Bill Belichick get more satisfaction out of sending the Jets to 0-16 or maybe letting the, you know, letting in quote, having the Jets beat the Patriots so they don't get the number one pick and don't get Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that many times myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it depends on what Jacksonville's record is at that stage. Yeah. But I honestly think that, uh, Bill Belichick will play every game here on out once you're in the game to win. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of the Jets, there are no guarantees if the Jets get Trevor Lawrence that that's going to turn their fortunes around as a franchise. They got Sam Darnold, the guy that they thought was their franchise quarterback just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I think if Bill Belichick is in the situation in that final game where the Jets are still winless and it's a game in which the Patriots you know, have an opportunity to win it, he's going to seize that opportunity because there will be more satisfaction in that moment uh, to win. But no, I, I think honestly, that's the makeup. I can't ever see Bill Belichick. Uh, unless, you know, maybe it's a game like, uh, you know, late in the playoffs where, you know, it's more advantageous to your playoff seating to throw the ball into the stands yeah. at the end of the game rather than trying to uh, score a go-ahead uh, touchdown. Uh, the, I think in this case, if it's the Jets, and again, I, I, I would I would think that he's going to want to win that game. He's going to want to beat the Jets. Uh, nothing, I don't think he wants to walk across the field and, and shake hands with Adam Gaze after a loss to the Jets. Not that he doesn't like Adam Gaze. He has a lot of respect for Adam Gaze, interestingly. Uh, but I, I don't think he would want to want to leave that game regular season finale with a loss to the Jets. And I also say this too, Brady. And I think, you know, we, we, if the playoffs picture, you know, now is, is almost settled and, and, and once it does become, if, you know, if the Patriots aren't able to, experience a miracle here these final three weeks of the regular season. I go back to week 17 for the Dolphins last year coming into Foxborough and beating the Patriots. And as different as the circumstances are for that Miami team and this Patriots team, I still think the way you play in the regular season finale, particularly for young players, can be a springboard to the offseason and a better mindset and overall offseason for your football team. And I think it carried over for the Dolphins in terms of the culture and the work habits, even though they changed a lot of the pieces. But coming into Foxborough winning that game, again, that was a huge upset. If the Patriots beat the Jets, no big deal. But I still think it's important for the Patriots to play these last three games as if their playoff lives are on the line, and every one of them, even if the mathematics ultimately eliminate the Patriots altogether. 
Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots. You can check him out Sunday. We've got the coverage for you from Miami beginning at 10 a.m. with the pregame show, 1 p.m. with the kickoff. Three games left in those playoff hopes. They're still there, even though they're small. Bob, we appreciate it, man. And, uh, hey, we're hoping for, uh, you know, keep it under your hat. You might be getting some Vermont beer coming your way soon here. So uh, we appreciate you. In, in that case, I'll tip my cap to you, Brady. I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Brady. All right, there he goes, Bob Sosi, with us every single Tuesday at 545. Here's what we'll do. We'll get a break. We'll get a national update from the folks at CBS News. Then we'll get to our Bob Sosi takeaways after the top of the hour. But first, before that, Jackie Bradley Jr., drawing interest on the free agent market. I'll tell you where he should want to go this offseason, and it's not back to Boston. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Remember, if you ever miss any of the show or any of our exclusive interviews and some extra interviews we do as well, you can subscribe to the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at WDEVradio.com. Bob Sosi takeaways coming up in a couple of minutes. Voice of the Patriots was just with us. The guys are cutting up that. But first, um, let's kick off the top of the hour with the Red Sox. We talked yesterday about the Red Sox signing Hunter Renfro to their outfield and what it may mean for Jackie Bradley Jr. Let me flip this for you. Jackie Bradley Jr. shouldn't even want to come back to Boston next year. Jackie Bradley Jr., who's 30 years old, who's coming off a really, really productive offensive season in the shortened pandemic-ridden season, he should not want to come back to the Red Sox. Jackie Bradley Jr. should want to play for the Philadelphia Phillies next year, and they are one of the teams reportedly showing interest in him. And there's a bunch of reasons why this makes sense for Jackie. I understand the Red Sox might want him back. They might have a role for him. The fan base, a lot of them want him back. But Jackie, he should be looking beyond Boston. He should be looking at Philadelphia. First off, Dave Dombrowski is the new president of baseball operations there. He knows Bradley from their time in Boston. That matters. Relationships always matter reliability, dependability, and relationships are always important. And Dombrowski and Bradley, they go way back. For all the talk, and I think just talk, about Dombrowski trading away prospects and mortgaging the future to win now places, there's a group of prospects in Boston he didn't trade. And Jackie Bradley Jr. is one of them. So clearly, Dave Dombrowski has valued Jackie Bradley for a long time. He could have sent him packing in Boston. He never did. He kept him, just like he kept Xander Bogarts and Andrew Benintendi and Mookie Betts. He kept those guys. That relationship and that belief is clearly there where Dombrowski likes Bradley and has liked Bradley for a long time. So if I'm Bradley, like I'm running. I'm not walking. I am running to Philadelphia to be with a guy who has believed in me for a long time. You have a guy in the front office who you know and have the relationship with. That matters. And from Bradley's perspective, the Phillies are there to win, and they're there to win now. You bring in, this is what Dembrowski does. He gets brought in to win and to win quick. He never won the World Series in Detroit, 
but he got them to the World Series. He turned the Detroit Tigers into a big market team for a couple of years with Prince Fielder and Ian Kinsler and Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer and uh, Miguel Cabrera, and the Detroit Tigers became a power for a couple of years. Then he comes to Boston, and the message is win, and win fast, and he did. He's won the World Series with the Marlins. He's gotten to the World Series with the uh, – uh, with the Tigers, and he's won the World Series with the Red Sox. When Dave Dombrowski comes in, the message is win. And if I'm Jackie Bradley and I'm 30 years old, I got probably one really good contract in me here. I want to win. I want rings. I've, I want I want rings, I want money, and I want playing time. I always say those three things matter in some order. Well, Philly gives me a chance to get playing time. It gives me an established relationship in the front office with a guy who believes in me, and that's important. I'm not looking over my shoulder all the time. It gives me a chance to win, and Dombrowski's also going to pay because that's what Dombrowski does. When Dombrowski comes into a place, he plays to win, and he pays to win. He pays to win. He can spend on David Price in Boston. He's going to spend in Philadelphia. They're looking to win the World Series now. They have investments now. Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, they have good Zach Wheeler. They have good players who were set to win. Jackie just gets to slide in and be a part of that. I wouldn't even want to come back to Boston. Dombrowski offers me a relationship, offers me a chance to win and win fast, get a second ring, offers me a chance to stabilize my career yet again, and offers me good money because that's what Dombrowski does. He'll probably overpay me a little bit because he wants to win so bad and because he knows that he's got to win so bad. I mean, they're squarely in win-now mode there, and JBJ should care about that. The win-now mode leads him to a starting job, leads him to more money, leads him to a chance to play meaningful baseball games. He, he also fits in Philly. It's a very, very right-handed hitting lineup. They need lefties. They've got Harper and really nobody else that swings from the left side, so Bradley could fit in there. I mean, outside of simple loyalty to the Red Sox, or family reasons, he should want to be out of Boston. Like, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. probably gets a three-year contract, maybe four. If he signs a three-year deal in Boston, I'm not convinced that they're ever any good while he's here. That they're never. I, if he signs a three- or four-year deal here, he might be stuck here while the team is rebuilding and be bad. I don't want that if I'm him. I've gotten my ring in Boston. I've been established in Boston. Now I can move on. Money, playing time, championship potential. Check, check, check. Red Sox aren't going to overspend on Jackie Bradley Jr., so he's not going to get the, as big of money, I don't think, here. And they're not in a position to win the championship. Heck, they're not even in the position to be relevant in the division as it sits right now. Philly's in a position. Braves are good. Nationals can be good. Mets are interesting. That's a good division in the NL East. But if I'm Jackie Bradley Jr., I got a chance to win a division and maybe win a World Series. The Phillies are the spot for me if I'm him. The Cubs are in kind of teardown mode. The Astros are in, hey, we're aging mode, and I'm not quite sure where we are mode, and Verlander's hurt, and Granke's 37. I don't know that I like any of those teams more than the Phillies. In fact, I know I don't. And from everybody's perspective, we know that Jackie Bradley can handle the Philly fans. Why? Because he handled the Boston fans. If Jackie Bradley Jr. can hit 220 and handle the Boston fans, he can handle it in Philly. 
He, you know he's built for it. You know that his mindset is such that can handle tough fans. I mean, this is a – pardon the pun, but this is a home run for me. If I'm Jackie Bradley Jr., I want Dave Dombrowski calling me. Chance to win, chance to play. They need a left-handed bat. I'm playing in the National League, so the speed portion of my game can become a little bit more a part of this. I get a three- or four-year deal where I make good money, and I'm in a position to win. I'm playing alongside Bryce Harper. If the team has $380 million or whatever it is invested in Bryce Harper, then I know they're there to win. And that's what I want. And that's what I want. And it's not that far. So if family concerns are an issue, I'm not that far from Boston. Jackie Bradley Jr., I'll miss you in Boston. I've liked him. It's the best thing for his career, though, to go to Philadelphia to reunite with Dave Dombrowski, and the Red Sox get a chance to sign Hunter Renfro and then see what they've got. I I am in, you know, I'm in rebuild mode with the Red Sox. There's no other way to say it. I am a seller before I'm a buyer if I'm the Red Sox. And when it comes to JBJ, I don't need to pay him a four-year deal because I don't know that I'm good enough in the life of that four-year deal to make it worth it. JBJ. Go to Philly. I'll miss you. I'll root for you. I hope you hit 290 there. I hope you can compete for a World Series because the Red Sox aren't. So we won't have to worry about competing loyalties. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, so we just spoke to Patriots broadcaster Bob Sosi. Now it's time to get to our Bob Sosi takeaways. I don't want to do this, but I have to address it because everybody else is addressing it. Uh, lay, let me lay out the scenario to you as I laid it out for Bob. It's week 17. The Patriots are eliminated from playoff contention. The Jets are in town, and the Jets are 0-15, and they are looking at the number one pick in the draft. They're looking at maybe going winless. They're looking at the number one pick in the draft, and that number one pick in the draft is a can't-miss prospect, apparently, by the name of Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. Bill Belichick hates the Jets with a burning passion. The guys on local radio in Boston know it. Everybody around the league knows it. He can't stand the Jets. So what matters to Bill Belichick more? Humiliating the Jets and causing them to go 0-16 or letting the Jets beat the Patriots, finish 1-15, but that one win might knock them out of the ability for that number one pick and Trevor Lawrence. If Jacksonville and the Jets both finish 1-15, Jacksonville is going to get the number one pick through tiebreaker. What matters to Bill Belichick more? Embarrassing the Jets at 0-16 or letting the Jets beat him and then costing the Jets the number one pick. I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to be conspiracy theory guy. I became it, and I asked Bob Sosi about it. Uh, Bill Belichick will play every game here on out once you're in the game to win. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of the Jets, there are no guarantees if the Jets get Trevor Lawrence that that's going to turn their fortunes around as a franchise. They got Sam Darnold, the guy that they thought was their franchise quarterback just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I think if Bill Belichick is in the situation in that final game where the Jets are still winless – and it's a game in which the Patriots, you know, have an opportunity to win it. He's going to seize that opportunity because. 
So Bob thinks that the Patriots will play to win and rather send the Jets to 0-16. I mean, I'm only asking the question because everybody else now nationally is talking about it. Colin Coward, Fox Sports Radio, he says that he thinks Belichick would throw the game. And the Jets and Belichick doesn't have to face Trevor Lawrence for the next five years. Think about this division. I want to face Trevor Lawrence two times a year. I want to face Tua two times a year. I want to face Josh Allen two times a year. Hell no. Belichick is too competitive to what? Start Jarrett Stidham? That's all you're asking. You don't. You just say, listen, we're going to start Jarrett Stidham. So he's saying start Stidham, not Cam, and hope you lose. It's not necessarily, I guess, throw the game, but it starts Stidham and make your team worse and make your team not as competitive. I really don't want this to be a scenario. I really, really don't. I like my sports to be about integrity and about competition. I'm always defending leagues when people say games are fixed. I don't want to wade into this gray area. I am going to root so hard for the Jacksonville Jaguars to win another game because if they win, they'll have two wins, and likely they won't be able to get the number one pick. If they get two wins, they're likely not getting the number one pick. So I hope the Jets are just in a position to solidify the number one pick no matter what by week 17 because I don't want to wade into these waters. I want the Patriots to play the game straight up. I want them to play it to win. I want them to send the Jets to 0-16 if they can. I think that would be great. I think that would be great fun in a year that hasn't been as fun from a record standpoint. That would be this year's Super Bowl if the Pats could send the Jets to 0-16. And if the Jets get the number one pick and Trevor Lawrence, so be it. I don't care. I don't care. Sam Darnold was supposed to be a sure thing, and he hasn't been. And Josh Rosen was supposed to be good. And Josh Rosen is third-string quarterback somewhere. These can't-miss prospects are not always can't-miss prospects. They do miss. I want my games to be played as they should. I don't want them altered. I want Cam to play, especially if Cam has played well against Miami and Buffalo. I don't want to pull him for the sake of just hopefully losing. I want to evaluate Cam. I want to see him under all scenarios. I want to see him play. I want to know what I've got in him moving into the offseason. Stidham, he's here for two more years. And as much as I like him, as much as I thought that maybe he could be the guy, he's here for two more years. Cam is here for three more games. I need to see him. I don't want to bench Cam just for the sake of playing Stidham and hopefully losing. This isn't really good for anybody, by the way. I don't want this scenario. I'm picturing a world where Jared Stidham plays and other guys are benched. Oh, I think you got a little ankle tweak today. You can't really play. Like I'm picturing that kind of world, and I don't want to be in it. Players have contract incentives to hit. So does Cam, by the way. Okay, I don't want game plans altered to the point where a guy is sat down or not thrown to or Cam can't throw enough. I don't want them to get their money altered, have their money interfered with. That would seem like a problem to me, and that would seem like something the players' union would have a say in. Hey, Belichick doesn't play Cam. As a result, Cam can't hit this bonus. I don't want to be in that world. And I really don't want this for Stidham either. If he's going to play, he deserves a chance to succeed. 
if he's going to play, he deserves a fair chance to succeed. And if he's just put out there with some watered-down game plan, some conservative game plan so we hope they lose, and a preseason, you know, game four preseason roster to boot, he's being put in a position to fail. I don't want this for anybody. If the Jets get Trevor Lawrence, then I'll just take my chances with it. I would rather the Jets have Trevor Lawrence. I would. Then see the Patriots potentially throw a game and impact Stidham and impact Cam and impact people's dollars. That would be a negative for me. I have zero interest in that. And I just hope that the Jets are – I hope Jacksonville wins a game because I hope they're in a position to have the number two pick at best and they can't get number one. So then week 17 doesn't matter. I'm going to come out and I'm going to beat the Jets what I hope is 38-10 to 10, and Cam's going to throw for 470 yards. Like that's what I want to see. I don't want to see a gray area, a nebulous area, where the Patriots toss a game just so the Jets don't get Lawrence. They get him, so be it. You're going to have to beat good quarterbacks along the way to any division title or any conference title or any Super Bowl title. If the Jets get Trevor Lawrence and he's good and the Bills have Josh Allen and he's good and Tua's good, well then I better get a good quarterback too. And that's that. I don't want to see the Patriots in a position to hurt the integrity of the game. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do this every single Tuesday. Things I hear over the weekend, things I hear on Monday, things that are still in my mind and are still just kind of bothering me a bit. It is, this makes me want to drink. This weekend is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Thank God I'm exhausted. But after seeing this, I better crack open another. It's time for This Makes Me Want to Drink. All right, This Makes Me Want to Drink on the Brady Farkas Show. ESPN radio host Jay Williams, former great college basketball player at Duke, now a morning radio host of uh, uh, Zubin, Keyshawn, and Jay Will, uh, or Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, rather, on ESPN radio in the morning. He was talking about the NBA season. And he says the Brooklyn Nets are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Not the Celtics, not the Bucks, not the 76ers, not the Heat, not the Raptors. The Brooklyn Nets are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. This one, I don't need to crack open another. This one I need a whole six-pack for. And they better be double IPAs. And they better be 10% alcohol. Because that's what I would need to believe that. I would need to be that rocked from double IPAs, to believe that the Brooklyn Nets are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Here's Jay Williams with this lunacy. Can Kevin Durant stay healthy? Can he be durable? We've only seen one player come back off an Achilles injury and was next level is Dominique Wilkins, right? So I think that's really important for this team because he's – he, he, he unlocks everything with this unit. Philadelphia is going to be a lot better. Adding Seth Curry, a couple of different pieces to their lineup will help them with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, see how that works out. Boston Celtics will be right there. They will be good. The Milwaukee Bucks will be right there. They will be good. But I think this is, this is the Brooklyn Nets season to lose if they don't get to the NBA Finals. Opening. It will be looked at as a failure. This is the Brooklyn Nets season to lose. I, it wouldn't be so much of a laughable take if I could wrap my head around an idea that Kyrie Irving is going to be a stabilizing force this year for the Nets, 
I can't put any faith in Kyrie Irving anymore. All I can think is that Kyrie Irving is going to find a way to torpedo this team because Kyrie is either hurt or causing problems. That is who he is when he doesn't play with LeBron. For his entire career, Kyrie has been hurt or he has caused problems. And I feel bad saying that. I want to like Kyrie because he's an artist with the ball. He's my favorite player to purely watch in the league. His combination of ball handling with his scoring ability is something that I haven't really seen. Like, he's got the quickness and the ball handling of an Allen Iverson. The willingness and the toughness to finish at the rim like Iverson, but he's a significantly better shooter than Iverson was. Significantly better. I love watching Kyrie Irving play. But I can't put any faith that he's not going to torpedo this season in some way. I mean, he's already. He's all, We haven't even started yet. And Kyrie Irving is already an issue. This summer, he doesn't need a coach, he said. Then he's talking about LeBron not being a good enough closer and how Durant's the first real closer he's ever played with. Then he doesn't talk to the media. Now he's talking to the media. He's calling the media names. Then he comes back and backtracks it, and he speaks in riddles. This is who Kyrie Irving is. And the Nets, Durant, I have no idea what he's going to be. I have no idea if he's going to play. You know, coming back 72-game season, is Kevin Durant going to play 72 games coming off a torn Achilles? I would doubt it. So... Kyrie's coming off shoulder surgery, missed a lot of the season last year. Is he playing 72 games? Doubt it, because he never plays all the games. So Kyrie doesn't play every day. Durant won't play every day. Celtics are good. Philly's gotten better. They've gotten some shooters with Seth Curry. They've got Daryl Morey in there, Doc Rivers. Milwaukee just signed Giannis and took care of their biggest question mark. The thing hanging over them as a franchise, they took care of. Giannis is signed. They got Drew Holiday. Miami went to the NBA Finals. Toronto's always around it. They have maybe the best coach in the NBA in Nick Nurse. Where is the room to say that the Brooklyn Nets are the team to beat? The Brooklyn Nets should be good. They have spent enough money to be good. They should be a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. They could be a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. But to come out here before opening day and say that this is their conference to lose... If you gave me a bet in Vegas, the Nets of the field in the East, I would take the field. And I put a lot of money on it. Because I've seen this dance before. Kyrie Irving plays with a great player. And Kyrie Irving's unhappy. Kyrie Irving says weird things in the media. And now there's distractions. Kyrie Irving is hurt. And now the team isn't as good as it could be. I've seen that too many times to believe what Jay will. Has to say. It's a Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Coming up next, we'll get to our daily dose of Doug. We'll hear from Flutie. But first, Colin Cowherd said something this week about Cam Newton that we've been on for weeks. Colin must have been listening to our show because we've been on this for weeks. I'll tell you what that is next on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show with WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So we have been saying this for weeks that Cam Newton is not 
that as he as he's gotten older and as he's gotten less physically gifted, he's been beaten up with injury, that his game has not translated well. And we have compared him to Russell Westbrook in the NBA, who is a guy whose game is predicated on physical dominance, being able to blow by you and being able to jump over you. And we have said that when Westbrook loses that ability, because of his inability to shoot, he's going to be a player that is not a total liability, but he's not going to be the MVP. Well, Colin Coward, Fox Sports Radio, in my opinion, the best national radio host there is. He must have been listening to our show because he said that exact same thing earlier. Cam and Westbrook's games are so driven by physicality. But as you watch the NFL change to an efficiency league, Cam's not efficient as a player. As you watch the NBA change to a shooter's league, Westbrook can't shoot threes. Westbrook at times is painful to watch shoot. Cam last night is painful at times to watch throw. So it's a comparison that we've made, okay? Cam's age, Cam's game isn't aging well. And in a way, it shouldn't affect the Patriots too much because they've got him for this year right now and at $1 million. They're not concerned about what he might look like in two years or four years. We'll see. We'll reevaluate this in the offseason if the Patriots choose to re-sign him. But he is a player who has long relied on physicality, and as that physicality wanes, he needs something else to go back on, and right now he can't. Russell Wilson can fall back on his arm. Aaron Rodgers can too. Kyler Murray, the jury is out on, right? Lamar Jackson, the jury is out on. If if those guys can't run, are they elite-level quarterbacks? The jury is out. In those guys' cases, the running is a huge part of it. Russell Wilson could not run at all and be pretty good. Aaron Rodgers could not run at all and be pretty good. Cam Newton right now, he running is a part of who he is in such a big way. It's hard for him to not be the physical specimen that he once was. But it was interesting. Albert Breer of the Monday Morning Quarterback, who knows the Patriots inside and out, he, he wrote yesterday, he had talked to NFL executives who said, we don't think Cam has anything left. One guy said, can't throw, no accuracy. Also, when he runs, it's with no authority. And the other said, throwing motion is messed up. Injury has changed him. It's awkward. Let me go back to the first scout, NFC scout, or NFC executive, I think it was. Says, also, when he runs, it's with no authority. That I disagree with. Cam seems to only have the ability to run with authority. He runs great in short yardage. He runs great in the red zone. He runs great within three yards. Quarterback power, quarterback draw, quarterback sneak, red zone. He's a he's still a guy who gets the job done there. His 11 rushing touchdowns this year would lead you to believe he's still got a nose for the end zone and a nose for short yardage. He's doing that because he's physical. What he's not doing is taking off on scramble plays, okay? The running with authority is the best part of his running ability. Russell Wilson's like a ballerina out there. Kyler Murray, when he runs, he is, it's very, very, again, it's, it's kind of basketball on grass, kind of like a figure skater out there. It's, it's beautiful to watch Kyler Murray run. Lamar Jackson is just so darn fast that he's able to just outrun everyone. That's not Cam. Cam doesn't have that. Cam might have had that in the past, but now Cam's lost the speed and only has the power. So I I agree with Colin, and we've said this, that his game is not aging well because 
He isn't a great thrower anymore. And he doesn't have great speed. All he's left with is the power. So I disagree with that executive who says he doesn't run with authority. That's the best thing that he has. I mean, I also would say this, though. I think Cam's running style is more sustainable than a guy like Kyler Murray because it's, you know, Kyler's predicated on speed and elusiveness, and he'll eventually lose that. Cam's predicated simply on toughness and brute strength, which you can keep. Even as you get older, you can keep that. Now, staying healthy is a concern with Cam, but at $1 million, I don't know how many people are really concerned about Cam's long-term health. I probably would be, but Cam doesn't seem to be worried about it. He knows he needs this part of his game, and the Patriots don't seem to be because they know they need this part of his game. The question remains, how much money would you invest in Cam, and at some point it's too much of a risk for him to play this way? Again, at $1 million, it doesn't really matter how the Patriots play Cam because it's not worth a lot to them. If Cam was making $6 million or $8 million or $14 million or $24 million, like where's the mesh point there? Somewhere in there is the number. He makes too much money for us to put him at risk, and that's going to be fascinating to find out what that number is. Cam needs to run. The Patriots need Cam to run, but at some point is Cam worth too much to not have him run? And that's what I'd really worry because he is not a great thrower of the football. I love Cam. I can picture a world where Cam is back, but I can't picture a world where Cam can't run or Cam is not allowed to run because Cam needs to be able to run because, as Colin said, his game overall is not aging well. So Brady Farka show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, let's get to our daily dose of Doug, guys. Every single day, Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, two times Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer. He and I do a podcast together every day. We play a, a little bit of that back. Let's go to our daily dose of Doug. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. Spread him out, throw the ball over the field, five yards at a time, basketball on grass, and go down the field. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, so Flutie and my podcast came out yesterday, and one of the things that we talked about was the Patriots style of offense, okay? Very, very run game predicated. Everything is about the run. Cam doesn't throw very much. 11 passes this week, 13 this week, 16 this week. Flutie is a guy who played in Canada, and he wants to throw it 47 times a game. So every time we talk about the Patriots style of play, Flutie says that he hates it. Well, he played this way in his career. Remember when he was with the Pats in the 80s, that 88 season, and won three games in a row with less than 100 yards passing, of which Flutie started two of those games. So he's used to seeing an offense like this. He's led an offense like this. I asked him about what's it like to lead an offense that plays this way. I hated it because when you do throw the ball, you're throwing on third and eight. Yeah. You know, you got this one shot. You throw an incomplete pass, you're off the field. If you know you're – if you're Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and you knew you were throwing the ball three straight times, you got to go one for three sometimes. This is another reason, and that soundbite really resonated with me. This is another reason I'd like to see the Patriots – I'm imploring the Patriots – to play differently this week against the Dolphins because Flutie brings up great points. If you never throw 
or you rarely throw, or you run, run, throw, and you're throwing on third and eight, you're making it that much tougher for Cam to succeed as a passer. Think about this. Accuracy is Cam's biggest detriment. It always has been. Now maybe there's some questions about arm strength, but accuracy has always been the biggest red flag on Cam's passing ability. Throwing it once every three downs just amplifies that. Because normally, if, as Flutie says, if we threw it three times in a row, I only need one of those passes to be good. Well, if I'm throwing it once, I need that pass to be good. And when it's not, here we are punting. Here we are drive stopping. Here it is third down. Third and eight, can't get it. Third and four, missed the pass. If we throw on first, throw on second, throw on third, well, I got a good chance of completing one of those to be good. And Cam is a rhythm player. I've thought this all year. Cam is an emotional player. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He relies on energy. And guys that do that rely on rhythm. Think about a basketball. Think about when you're playing basketball. You go to the local YMCA and you're playing pickup. You hit that you 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 hit that first shot. It's like, okay, give me the ball again. You hit the second shot. Now I'm taking a third shot. And I'm, I'm going to take every shot that I have. I'm a rhythm shooter. I'm getting into the flow of the game, and I'm developing a rhythm. When you never get the ball, and you're just kind of running back and forth, you get bored. You get lazy. You get out of it. Then your shoe comes untied. Then you finally get the ball, and you dribble it off your foot. You have no chance to get a rhythm. That's kind of what's happening with Cam here. Run, run, pass. Run, run, pass. Pass, run, 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 run. Stop, start. Stop, start. Stop, 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 start. It's hard to get a rhythm that way. There's no fluidity to the way the Patriots play, so the quarterback never has a chance to get in a rhythm. And Cam's a rhythm player. I do believe that if you just said, hey, Cam, we're going to throw the ball 46 times today, I think there would be stretches of that game where Cam completes six in a row, seven in a row, eight in a row, two big plays here. I think he would do that. Rhythm player. He's not being given a chance to put to get into a rhythm. So it's time. Take the training wheels off. Let's and by the way, let's test the receivers too. We've all complained about the lack of weapons. Give them a chance to get open this week. Throw the ball 25, 30 times. I'm not telling you to, to abandon the run entirely. The run is what makes this team good. But you got a 2% chance of making the playoffs. Let's test Cam against a good secondary in Miami. Let's test the receivers. Josh McDaniel says we got enough weapons to win here. Let's see it. How many wide receivers do we need to draft? How many do we need to get in free agency? Or do we have guys in here that are good? Nikhil Harry's making, you know, they tell us Nikhil Harry's making strides. Let's see it. I want Cam against a Dolphins secondary that's pretty good, that's been built to be pretty good this year. And just intercepted Patrick Mahomes three times. I want to see Cam throw it 25 times. I want to see the receivers have to get open. That is what I want to see. Let's test Cam. Let's test the receivers. This is important this week. The best way to win this game is still to utilize the run. But 35 runs, 25 passes would be more than okay with me. We need to see it. And the playoffs are a fleeting dream, so unleash it. Here you go, Cam. Let's get you in rhythm. Let's protect you, hopefully better than we did the other day against the Rams. Let's get you in rhythm. Let's get the ball out, and let's get the receivers open. Let's see if they all can do it, because I need answers. If I'm not going to the playoffs, I need answers. And I want to see Cam throw the football and throw it a lot and get a true sample. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. 
All right, guys, let's get to crazy Twitter takes every single day. There's just a lot of weird stuff on the internet. A lot of you say just unbelievable things. We give you one that stood out above the rest today. Here we go, crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah, they can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The yeah. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right, crazy Twitter takes is simply this. There are multiple Red Sox fans on Twitter that want the Red Sox to sign DJ LeMayhew. And you want him because he's a good player. You want a batting title. You want him because he used to play for the Yankees. And you want to keep him from going back to the Yankees. I get all of that. But say it with me. Moves the Red Sox make have to make sense. And this one doesn't. I love DJ LeMayhew too. He's 32 years old. He's looking for probably a five-year deal. So let me paint this picture for you. DJ LeMay, who's 32, he plays great this year. The Red Sox are still garbage. Then he's 33, and the Red Sox are still probably not that good. And then he's 34, and now he's starting to wane. He's not as good. The bat speed's not as good. Can't play second base as easily. Maybe he's getting injured. And the team is starting to get better. So as the team starts to get better, LeMay, who's coming down? I don't want that. I need my – if I'm going to spend – five years and a hundred plus million dollars on free agent free agents. I need to know that they're going to crest when I crest free agency is there to supplement a roster, not build a roster. If DJ, if I'm going to be down and LeMay, who's going to be up and then eventually I'm going to be up and LeMay, who's coming down, he does me no good. It's just a, a drain. It's just a Dustin Pedroia style drain on my resources. Young controllable, pieces. Red Sox need to get as many 24-year-olds as they can. Waiver claims, minor league free agents, small trades, free agents, they need to get as many 24, 25, 26-year-olds as they can because as they grow in two, three, four years, I'll have a chance to be good again. The Red Sox are sellers before they are buyers. They should trade J.D. Martinez before they sign D.J. LeMahieu. They should be thinking that way. We need low-risk, low-risk, low-cost veterans that can probably be traded for prospects. And you need young upside guys. 32-year-old second baseman that by the time I'm good, he's probably not as good. That I, I That's not going to work for me. So, I'm sorry. Red Sox fans on Twitter that want DJ LeMahieu, I'm sorry that at Christmas time I have to deliver the bad news here. The Red Sox aren't a very good team, and they don't project to be very good. Yankees, good. Rays, good. Blue Jays, good. Red Sox, not. That's just the way it is. They don't have enough pitching. They can do creative things. I think they can be interesting for a bit. Interesting enough to develop solo individual players that they can turn around and trade for prospects. That's absolutely possible. A 25-man roster that competes for a World Series title, not going to happen. Therefore, DJ LeMahieu, not needed. All right. I've been doing this a lot lately, but in next segment, I'm going to morph my who's saying what with my closing thoughts. Cam Newton said something perfectly believable yesterday. So why don't people believe him? Why do people doubt the sincerity 
of this comment. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Final segment here on a Tuesday, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. So who's saying what's morphing into final thoughts today? I've done that a couple of times over the last uh, couple of days. So um, Cam Newton said something yesterday that was perfectly believable, and yet people don't want to believe it. Here was Cam yesterday, WEEI in Boston. My practice habits this year has, has, has been more anticipated than any other time in my life i've been playing this game since i was six seven years old and i've never cared about practice as much as i've cared about practice since i've been in new england people on twitter are ripping him saying he's he's fooled the media he's fooled the people of new england they're calling him a liar why is this so hard to believe you just simply don't want to like cam let's let's examine this cam newton came into the league after winning a heisman trophy he won a national championship. He was number one pick in the draft. Keys to the city. He was a different kind of player than anybody else in the NFL. With a different kind of attitude. He had enough natural ability to get by. Do you feel like Cam Newton in 2011 felt like he needed practice? Because I don't. Do you think that Cam Newton in 2011 thought that watching film meticulously was the key to his success? I don't. He felt young, and he felt invincible, and he got to the playoffs, and he won an MVP, and he got to a Super Bowl, and he was able to do it in part because he was so darn talented. Young people often think that they don't need the extra mile because they're just so naturally gifted. At 30 years old, you're allowed to mature. Cam is now 31. You're allowed to see things differently. He no longer has the athleticism to just get by. He needs the brains, the good habits, the good recovery methods, the technique, the little things. Things he's never needed, he needs now, and he recognizes that. Why is that so hard to believe? Because we're all allowed to get older and get wiser. Cam is too. If you don't like Cam, you just don't like Cam. If you're holding something back on Cam from, or holding something against Cam from a decade ago, that's on you. Cam's allowed to grow up because we're all allowed to grow up at age 30. And by the way, he's also got the pandemic going on. There is nothing else to do. There aren't commercials to shoot, no family to be with. His family isn't in Foxborough, no places to go out. So yeah, football's all there is. It's all he can hone in on. And he can hone in on it in a way that he never has before. I was struck today by something that Yasiel Puig, the baseball player, said on social media. And Yasiel Puig kind of has a little Cam Newton in him where people don't like him flashy. They think he's arrogant, plays the game, quote, the wrong way. Puig said this, when you're young, you don't want to listen to anyone. Now that I've grown up, I'm more willing to take the right advice and start applying it. Doesn't that sound like Cam? Doesn't that sound like a guy who has been humbled, who has learned that you can't just get by on a great smile and pure athleticism? I believe Cam. 100%. Pandemic's going on. There's nothing else to do. He's at a point in his career and a point in his own maturity where he has recognized, I need this stuff. Michael Vick once said it. He said, I didn't watch a whole lot of film when I was young. I just outran everybody. 
Cam is allowed to grow. I'm I'm different at 31 than I was at 21. You're different at 31 than you are at 21. Cam's allowed to be different too. So believe him when he says that his work ethic is better now than it's ever been before. People are allowed to grow. We can grow. I can grow. You can grow. Cam can grow. Believe it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Full show podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. Dinner Jazz is next.